Did they like downgrade y'all's podium? Like this thing is tiny. Wow. Sorry. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Pastor Howe. I'm the campus pastor at Temple Terrace campus. Um, it's really weird to be called a guest speaker here because uh, I, I did back in the day. I actually started the exchange and now it's like I'm a guest speaker. I guess so. I guess that's what you call old people to come in and speak. So, um, so I, I actually, what's tough for me is, uh, is this is my, by far the favorite, my favorite series to ever talk about because I really, truly, truly, truly just care so much about y'all figuring out relationships and finding the person that you should marry and having a healthy marriage and what that looks like. And one of the things that I always, um, I'm afraid of, especially with you guys, is is for you guys to get in certain scenarios, and I've seen this play out so many times, and I see it play out um, on a regular basis, even in just even the older generation and everything, and that is this idea. Um, It's those that that are dating and because they don't know how to date, they don't know the questions to ask, they don't bring the person that they're dating around the right people. Um, They date for a very long time and it's not until like year three or year four they see red flags. And all of a sudden you're in this situation. You guys have friends that are, that are there that's like, it's year two, year three, year four. They see the red flags and they're stuck with this dilemma. Uh, do I break up with them and basically my last two, three years was a waste or do I just go forward? And, and here's, here's why I say that's such a dilemma because I've so, seen so many young people especially just keep going forward because they're like, I don't, I don't want to start over. I, I don't want to do this again. I've seen people get married because they just don't want to have to try to find somebody else. And so one of the big reasons that we do these series and we talk about these things is we want you guys to know what to look for. We want you to know what to pay attention to. And we want you to know what you're, what you're aiming for. And, and really that's what we're talking about today is what you're aiming for, which is marriage. I mean, that's the entire reason of dating. That's the entire reason of, of having these relationships is so you can find the person that you're going to marry. And like I said, it's, it's, it's crazy for me to see people that get so caught up in the, well, I can't find anybody else situation. I've had this experience recently um, where I had a couple that was, they were in their, their late 20s. Um, I think one of them was in their early 30s. And he came to me and talked to me and he said, hey, here's the deal. We've been dating for over two years. Uh, he goes, she doesn't trust me at all. And I'm like, well, that's... Uh, and, and he goes, I, he, was, he literally went to Man Event, which is like the, the beautiful conference for men. And he said she didn't, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and he said she didn't trust him going because he knew that there was going to be women serving there. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is a red flags. And he goes, yeah, there's been situations where she's held a gun to herself. And I'm like, okay, like, and, and he's like, what should I do? And I'm like, you need to break up. And he's like, oh, I, I can't. I'm like, I'm like, why not? He goes, I just spent so many years and I'm, I'm now 30 and I just don't think I can find anybody else. And I'm going, okay. And then about two weeks ago, we get a call from her and she's in the hospital and she's like, he just hit me and I have a concussion. What should I do? And I'm like, well, one, file charges. Two, you need to walk away. And so I'm having the conversation with him. We have another lady on staff that's having the conversation with her. And we're going, all right, so they're separating. This is good. And then on Sunday, they literally, they, they walk up, like, holding hands, smiling, walking up together. And I looked at our other staff member. I'm like, are we being punked? Like, is this for real? And we have the conversation with them. And they're like, we just don't want to start over. I'm like, this is, and here's the reason I say that. Like some of you in here are right now, like you're not there. You're not there. 
But the person you're dating, you've been dating a long time, and the only reason you're not breaking up is because you're like, we've been dating so long. And that, look, I understand that's one of the hardest decisions to make, but it's one of the wisest. Like, what's the point of going into a marriage with somebody you know it's not going to work with? And, and here's the problem that's happened, and so many times we see that happen, so many times we've seen people in those situations that we even have a bad taste of marriage. Like, it's crazy how bad, like, even in the church, people feel like marriage is not a possibility. I had a guy come up to me after I taught at the, uh, at the Lutz campus, and I, I had a guy come up to me, and he goes, he had his girlfriend with him, and he goes, tell me the truth. In the Bible, it says, basically, if you've had sex, you're married. And I'm like, well, like, really early on, like, we're talking Adam and Eve here. Like, that's, that's what it is. And he said, see, babe, that's what I said. I'm like, well, you're just the romantic, aren't you? Um... He goes, yeah, I've been married before. I don't want to do that again. I'm like, so, uh, so you're saying now that because you've had sex, you're married. I'm like, did you tell every girl that you've ever had sex with that? But here's the problem that we have. We've all heard the stat, right? 50% of marriages end in a divorce, right? It, we've, we've all seen bad marriages. Some of you grew up with them. You've seen marriages and you've seen the way they've gone. And the problem is when you see marriages and you assume that the stat is 50% of marriages end, you're going, all right, we've got to figure out another way of doing this. Or you date in a way where you're really not moving towards marriage because you don't think marriage is possible. Well, I just want to share a little bit with you on just the statistics that go along with that. Um, if you know me, I love to look into these things. But the idea that there was a divorce rate of 50%, I just want you to understand that never actually happened. Um, here, here's what happened. Millennials got married later and later, boomers are awful at marriage. So basically, here's how they did that statistic. The number of marriages in a year versus the number of divorces. So millennials are not getting married, so guess what? The marriage rate goes down drastically. Boomers are the worst generation with marriage altogether. They're just awful. They get divorced all the time. And so because of that, they said, oh, it's a 50% divorce rate because 50% of the people of, that were getting married, 50% of those people were, that what they said were getting divorced when actually it wasn't even that same generation doing that. Here's, here's why I'm saying that. Here, here's something I want you to know. 72% of people are still married to their first spouse. 72% of people are still married to their first spouse, and that doesn't include death. So if actually if you factor in death, uh, it's almost 80% of marriages. It's almost 80% of marriages. Actually, the actual divorce rate is only around 20 to 25% in first marriages. In first marriages, it's about 20 to 25%. In all marriages, which meaning those that continue to get married over and over again, it's 32 to 37%. Because, and, and here's the reason, and we've seen this, people that get divorced many times instead of looking at themselves and realizing what they did maybe that is wrong or maybe what's wrong with them or why they picked such a wrong person instead of looking at themselves, they just blame it all on that person just going to the next marriage marry the same person again. So they tend to get divorced over and over again. And so that's one of the reasons why it goes up. But the entire rate is actually much, much lower. So here's why this is so bad. When you're told that 50% of divorces end in marriage, what do you think? Oh, we gotta figure out another way of doing this. Like this is all wrong. We've gotta figure this out. So what's the answer? Oh, we just, well, let's live together before we get married. Because if we live together, then I can make sure that's the person that I wanna get married to. Well, here's the problem with that. The divorce rate, if you actually live with somebody before you get married, is 83%. It's 83%. It's uh, infidelity rate. If you live with somebody before you get married, it's 40% higher in women, 60% higher in men. On top of that, there's a lower level of happiness, lower level of sexual fulfillment, lower level of sexual regularity. And here's why I talk about that. Um, because so many times, you guys, society loves to say this. If you're having good sex, then you have a good relationship. That's the other way. 
good relationships have good sex. And so if relationships don't have sex and they don't have good sex, it means the relationship is bad. And so they actually have a lower level of relationship even with family. And here's what's crazy. The chance of getting married if you move in with somebody drops by 40%. The New York Times actually published an article not that long ago that told ladies, hey, if you want to get married, don't move in with somebody. Non-Christian article. Because the chance of getting married drops. Because there's this idea that we can just play marriage. But here's the problem. Marriage isn't something that you play. Marriage isn't something that you try out. In fact, you've heard this before, that marriage is a commitment. It's actually higher than that. In the Bible, marriage is what's called a covenant. It's a covenant. And a covenant is above a commitment. Like, a covenant was when uh, God told Abraham, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to start the Jewish nation. Uh, it's when God told um, Noah that, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again. The rainbow is a sign of that covenant. It's when Jesus died, there's a covenant that we, if we believe in him, we get to go to heaven. Covenants are very, very small amounts of them in the Bible. They're very, very serious. And God calls marriage a covenant. Why does marriage need to be a covenant? And when you look at marriage, you look at the vows, the most covenant part of it is till death do us part, right? And how often do we really believe that that's the truth? But why is it so important to be married to somebody that believes that we're going to be together till death? It's trust. How can I be absolutely open and honest with somebody I'm not sure if they're going to leave or not? How can I absolutely bear my soul, let somebody know who I really am, which is what marriage is supposed to be? If I'm fearful that they may leave. See, God said, I want it to be a covenant because I want these two people to become one. I want these two people to know each other, to love each other, to reach a level of relationship that is not possible outside of it. But here's, here's what I want you to know. There is incredibly good statistics that show that marriage can happen. Here's one, 50% less likely to get divorced if you just go to church. 50% less likely. In fact, if one person really wants the marriage to work, they say it actually does. And they did a nationwide survey of marriages, and they actually said this. This was crazy to me. It said 80% of people said this. If, if they had to do it over again, they would marry that person. The 20% of those people, here's what they, what they found out. If they stayed in the marriage for five years, they would say the same thing. Here's why. Marriage is about seasons, right? Life is about seasons. My wife and I went through three years. Years five through eight were tough. But years 9 through 16 have been great. But here's the deal. If you're told your entire life 50% of marriages fail, when you go through those tough five years, what do you do? You give up. You stop. I want to give you probably one of the best statistics that I've ever found. It was, it was done by this lady, and it just, it, it's four things that if you do these things, you have an incredibly high chance of marriage. It's a 90 to 95% of the mar- uh, chance of marriage. And we throw this up. You're at least 21 years old. You don't cohabitate before marriage. You attend church regularly, which means you're actually involved in church. And it says college, trade school, post-high school education. That is if you went to a semester, if you went to any trade school, anything. Those four things, 90 to 95% chance your marriage is gonna make it. That's high. That's high. This is important, guys. Why? Because here's the deal. When you realize 90 to 95% of the chance of marriage, you're going to fight through it. You're going to go, no, 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 this is going to work. I mean, think about it like this, and, and this, this illustration might, may fall through, but let's say you're climbing up a mountain. It's getting incredibly tough. You know there's nothing at the top of the mountain. The person says, hey, look, it's tough. 50% of people, they stop, but I was told this. If you stop and you go over there, there's a much easier mountain. What are you going to do half the time? When it gets tough, what are you going to do? You're going to go over there. 
When you're told in life, hey, 50% of them don't make it, but there's a chance if you find the right person, it's gonna make it, you're not gonna give up. You're gonna give up. What I want you to know is this, it's possible to make it happen. It's possible to find an incredible marriage and it's possible to move forward. Now, what I wanna talk about really is one of the biggest lies that leads to divorce. And here's the one of the biggest lies that leads to divorce and it's something that's been popularized by society and then Christianity kind of came onto it. It's the idea of a soulmate. It's this idea that there's this one perfect person out there. And here's what's so interesting. You saw it in all kinds of movies, and it's glorified in movies. Oh, you find that one right person, you know, their eyes lock, their dogs intertwine chains, and they just, they somehow kiss. And it's like, this is amazing. I found the one person. If you find your soulmate, everything's going to be perfect. And I feel like what happened was there's a lot of pastors who were like, man, we're missing out on the soulmate thing. And so they made up this lie that basically says, hey, God has that perfect person for you. And there's this idea of a soulmate. Do you realize how messed it up it would be if there were soulmates? Like, what if you marry the wrong person? Like, you just screwed up for yourself and, like, two other people. Right? And on top of that, what does that do? That gives us the out. It gives us the ability to say, oh, if I just found the right person. It's so funny. I've been doing these messages so long. I have um, other young adults that are now married that send me posts, and they just go, this is ridiculous. And I got one post from them, if we're going to show it real quick. And this is, this is what I feel like is said. Your real soulmate will naturally make you feel seen, heard, understood, appreciated, supported, valued, and loved. That's such garbage. <laughs> like literally, she, what's funny is she sent it to me and she's like, I am so happy I don't believe that crap. She, and this is a lady who has been married for a while and just had her second kid, is thrilled that she has stuck it through. But here, here's the problem. This is not something that somebody, anybody naturally does. Like, and if they do it for a while, they're not going to do it all the time. And it doesn't mean, just because they don't do that doesn't mean they're not the person you should marry. It just means you're in a tough season. So there's this idea, oh, if I just find the right person, everything will be perfect. That's not true. All relationships require you to move forward and actually try in those things. And here's the other side. Oh, I just need to be in love. Look, there's times where me and my wife are absolutely in love, and there's times where she wants to throw something at me. Like, it's just true. But love is not, is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a choice. I've decided that I'm going to love that woman no matter what. And she's decided the same thing. She's going to love me. Because if I don't understand that, then I just go, oh, it's their fault. I just need to find my soulmate. You know, one of the things that Mark talked about, and I I think Michelle did too, is the idea of being unequally yoked and and the struggle that happens with that. And the idea of being unequally yoked is a tough thing to talk about because we we don't live in an agrarian society. Like most of you have never seen two oxen pulling a plow, um, I'm guessing. But that was the idea. It was two oxen. They put a, a wood plank between them, and basically they would both handle the load. And so when it says don't be unequally yoked, you wouldn't want to put one really big oxen with one really small oxen or one really old oxen with one really young oxen because they'd be pulling at different ways. And what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying, is, he, hey, you don't want to be unequally yoked when it comes to whether or not they're a believer. Let me say it this way. In 2 Corinthians 6, it says this. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light live in darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, we read that verse and we're like, man, that sounds really harsh. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about how incredibly tough it would be in marriage for someone that is following God to try to follow God knowing that the person with them is not following them. 
And, and I've seen this happen so many times in, in, in life and, and even in, in this group where you, there you see people bringing other people in that have savior complexes. And we believe we're gonna save them or we're gonna change them or we're gonna do this. And we try to work it out and we try to move forward not understanding how important it is to find somebody that's already there. And ladies, let me just say this to you. If you want your kids to go to church, you want to marry a godly man. Because statistics show, if mom goes to church, the kids will go to church about age 13. And then all of a sudden, whatever dad is doing is cooler. If dad goes to the church, the family goes to church. And so this idea of being unequally yoked, I want to use this example. You guys ever ever done a three-legged race? Sean, come up here. You wish you wouldn't have talked to me. So if you've ever done a three-legged race, the point of a three-legged race is you want somebody almost the same height or about the same height as you. We're, we're right about there. And you're single, right? Yes. All right. How old are you, Sean? 21. 21. There we go. All right. All right. I love you. So the point of a three-legged race, if you've ever seen this, you ever done a three-legged race before? Yes, yeah. All right, so we start with the outside foot, then we go do our inside foot, all right? Yeah. Ready? Outside, inside, <laughs> outside. Is this too much for you? No, do you no, not no. feeling like a man right now? No, that's right. All right, so we just keep going. What happens when I stop? Just try to go. All right, so let me ask you this, Sean. Okay. If somebody's trying to pull you somewhere you don't want to go, do you just let them pull you? No. What do you actually do? You fight back, right? You fight back. I need you guys to hear this. Those of you with savior complexes, those of you that think, oh, no, no, we'll just be in marriage. It'll be fine. Everything will be okay. Here's what's been proven. If you're trying to go towards God and they're not about God, not only, not only are they not going to follow you, but they're going to fight against it. They're going to keep you back. Thank you, Sean. Did you just really go like this? <laughs> Highest demographic of divorce. Highest demographic of divorce. Different faiths. Different faiths. Highest demographic. Why? Because at some point, you've got to realize that we've got to have some sort of idea where we're going. What's our faith? What are we going after right here? And this, there's the idea that we can just find anybody and they'll just follow us or they'll just follow after what we're doing. That's not the truth at all. In fact, what happens many times is the person that's going after God is drugged back. They're not bringing them forward, especially in marriage. Especially in marriage. See, what I want to do right now, though, is I want to talk about what a godly marriage looks like. And really what I want to look at is even the, the verses and the things that I use in a wedding ceremony. Because if we understand what a marriage is supposed to be and what you're supposed to be committing to, then you can look at the person that you're dating and go, I could see this or I can't see this. All right. And so what I want to do is I want to start off with a set of verses that I need you to listen to me through. All right. Need no one to leave. I need all the women to just listen for a while um, and, and give me a chance to explain it because, and here's why, here's why, here's why. These set of verses have been abused by very weak men for a very long period of time to say something that they're not meant to say, all right? So here's the deal. 
There is a huge trigger word in these verses. All right? Some of you already know what it is. I hear you saying, submit. <laughs> let me read it, and then let me explain it. Will you guys let me do that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Ephesians 5, 21 to 31. Here's how it starts off. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. He says, both people, right? Starts off that way. Both sides. All right. For wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Here's what's interesting. When Paul says this, nobody was like, oh, that's a big deal. Because this back then was a normal thing. Like women in society back then were lower than men. So nobody in the crowd was like, oh, I can't believe he said submit. Like that was expected back then. What is unexpected was what he said next. He said this, he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. I don't know if that means you should go after a guy that takes gym selfies, but... Um, <clears throat> <laughs> for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feels, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So let me, let me explain this. When it says women, wives submit to your husbands, this is not the idea of going, oh, Husband, please tell me what to do today. <laughs> Y'all know my wife. <laughs> Here's what this is. In the Bible, it says the, the man is supposed to be the spiritual head of the household. So when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to these things, it's not going whatever you say. It's going, I trust you. Okay? So, so ladies, this is a big deal. He may be really good looking. He may make you feel great. He may take you on on great dates. But do you respect his decision-making ability? It's not, not saying you're not talking about stuff. It's not saying that you're not a part of every decision. None of those things. And here's what's interesting. My wife loves this verse. Because when it comes to the really hard decisions, she's like, that's your decision. I'm like, oh, now we decide that. <laughs> But here's why she trusts me. She knows I'm going to pray about it. She knows I'm going to fast about it if it's really serious. I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to do everything that I need to do to make sure we make the right decision. But here's the other side that people don't talk about. It says, men sacrifice. And it, it gives the example of Christ, the way he sacrificed for the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died. So men, it means we sacrifice. We die first. We do everything we can to make sure she is okay, taken care of, set up for success. In fact, in fact, that's the reason why even the idea of a man ever looking at a woman and saying submit is so ridiculous. Because what did Jesus do? When Jesus was up on the cross before he died, did he say, all right, everybody get right with me before I die? No, what did he do? He died first. So a man should never, ever, ever tell a woman to submit. In fact, when there's a situation, he should go, all right, I'm sacrificing first. And here's what I truly believe, ladies, is if you have a guy that will sacrifice everything for you, you have no, fault, no problem respecting his decision-making ability. 
Okay? Three people. There we go. This is the problem why I hate Frozen. Is, is because in the first Frozen, every man in her life tried to harm her or keep her from what she needed to do or was a moron. And so people are like, oh, does that mean that you just like the whole princess thing and you want... I'm like, no, 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 that sets up women for awful things too. I need to be saved. I'm just a princess and I'm just waiting for a man to complete me. That's stupid too. Like what we should be looking at and said is what's the idea? It's two people coming together that absolutely love and care for each other. They're supporting each other, sacrificing for each other, submitting to one another, wanting to what's best for them. I mean, what's so interesting for me like this past week, um, and I'm not saying this to say that I'm amazing what's so all, not at all. Like my wife has been gone. She's gone for an entire week. She's at two different conferences and they're all about self-improvement. And this one, she's actually at it. Like she's in the green room with Christine Kane and all these other women and getting to know people and leading these discussions and doing all these things. Why? Because God has this huge calling on her life. And I, my job is to make sure I sacrifice so she can reach it. And so the problem that becomes many times is when we focus on just those first couple verses about women submit, we take out the whole idea that women are a huge part of what God's doing. See, that's what a marriage is. It's two people coming together, submitting, helping each other become who God wants them to be. See, it, it's, when you look at the end of that verse, it says a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. You see the fact that one, he leaves his family, which is important. Um, they cleave, they come together, they're deciding we're gonna do this. And it says they become one flesh. But when you become one flesh, you're becoming something together. Now, the moment you get married, you don't become one flesh. You don't. Because you still are two very selfish people trying to figure out what it looks like to live together. It's something that happens over time. It's something that happens through commitment. And, and here's why we're so big on you understanding, like right now, like if you're single right now, you need to work on your baggage as much as possible. You need to work on yourself as much as possible. You need to hurt, work on your wounds and your hurts as much as possible. Because hear me, when you're coming together, it's no longer just my baggage, it's now their baggage. It's no longer just my problems, it's their problems. It's no longer just my family, it's their family. And hear me on this. It's impossible to heal and heal somebody else at the same time. Yeah. It's impossible to heal and heal somebody else at the same time. And look, I'm not saying we can't heal in marriage, but what happens so often is I see two people that are totally unprepared for marriage that have all kinds of issues, all kinds of things, believing that if they just put a ring on it, everything's going to be great. When that's not what happens at all. In fact, what I want you to understand is this, is the foundation of marriage is a commitment. It's love. And one, way, one really good way that you can look at yourself and look at the person that you're dating to see how ready they are for marriage is look at 1 Corinthians 13. And I know many times when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, we go, all right, I hear this every single uh, marriage. It kind of feels like it's outplayed. But here's what you should do. Put your name in it. How is patient and kind? How is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude? How does not demand his own way? How is not irritable? And how keeps no record of being wrong? How does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out? How never gives up, never loses faith, 
is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When you put your name in that verse, how, how are you? When you put the person that you're dating in that verse, how are they? If you understand, want to understand what love truly is, it's not that feeling that you get like when you kiss. It's whether or not they can do those things. It's whether or not they can follow those things. See, love is a choice. It's not human nature. It's not something that just naturally happens. And on top of that, one of the biggest important things that we've got to understand is we must, we must have God in our lives and they must have God in their lives. And here's why. Because sin will naturally break us apart. Because I need you to understand this. Just because you're married doesn't mean you're not going to sin against each other. Just because you're married doesn't mean you're not going to hurt each other. And here's the problem. We will constantly do that. And so we both have to be aiming at something that actually brings us together. And this is probably one of the oldest graphs. I mean, my pastor used this back in the day, but it kind of shows the idea of what the point of marriage is. It's the idea that you have you and you have your spouse, but God is at the top. Look, if you're just trying to make it work with somebody, it's never going to work because sin's going to get in there. But both of you decide to go after God. You will become closer and closer. That's why you must find somebody that loves God. You must find somebody that has godly community. Because one of the hardest things that I had to realize in marriage is this. I can't control anyone and I can't change anyone. Only God can. And some of you go, well, I can control you for a moment. You can. You can control for a moment. But that is scary. The idea that you're in a marriage with somebody it's supposed to be a lifetime. I can't control them and I can't change them. So what do I have to do? I have to trust that God can. But I also have to know ahead of time that's where they're going. They're going towards God. They're not just trying to marry me. They love God. And the vows, these are the vows that I said to my wife. I said, I promise to love, honor, and cherish Chrissy in the good times as well as the tough times, and financial stress and times of affluence. Still waiting for that affluence. <laughs> Staying committed to Chrissy alone as long as we both shall live. And, and here's the deal. In every marriage, well, there's vows, right? And you always promise. And here's the biggest problem that happens with promises is many times we see weddings as, hey, I'm promising to do something. So what we start to do is we start to take promises and believing that promises are okay. And we, we do this. We accept promises as a substitute for preparation. We accept promises as a substitute for preparation. So what we do is this, is they go, oh, but I promise it'll be different. I promise things will change. I promise I won't cheat on you again. I promise this won't happen. Here's the problem. Promises, promises don't mean anything until you're married. You want to find somebody that's actually prepared for marriage because a ring doesn't magically change somebody. A ceremony doesn't magically change somebody. A really great wedding cake and an awesome time of dancing and a great, you know, whatever it may be, that doesn't change anything. Are they prepared to be married to you? Because you're bringing somebody into your life, you're giving a lot of authority to. In fact, when, when you give somebody a ring, the, the ring is a symbol of so many things in the Bible. One, it's a symbol of authority. When you see in the Bible, Joseph, uh, when he went up to second in command, Pharaoh gave him a ring. When you're marrying somebody, you're giving them a seat of authority in your life. Think about it that way. I decided that this person's uh, like ideas, this person's comments, this person's um, choices in life are now going to affect me. Not only that, but it's also a symbol of forgiveness. 
See, marriage is all about forgiveness. You have to choose to forgive over and over and over again. Are you okay with forgiving that person? It's also a symbol of love. It's, it's a circle. It's never ending. It's pure. And so I'm deciding, hey, when I marry this person, I, I'm, I've got somebody now that's an authority in my life. I have somebody now that I'm going to choose to forgive on a regular basis. And I have somebody that I'm choosing to love on a consistent basis because we're coming together. And then you always have like the unity stuff. Like you have the unity candle, which is like two flames coming together. It's like the idea you can't take the flames apart, which I don't know how you could do that anyway. Or you have the unity sand. You guys seen that where you poured it at the same time? I had one couple where one poured it in, the other poured it in. I'm like, that's not, the point is to have it so mixed up that you couldn't take it apart. So I like shook it up. <laughs> and the latest one that I had was like unity wine. I'm like, what is this? Like, is this like the only way we have unity is with wine? And that's what, it, that wasn't what it was at all. It was like, they had a wine bottle at their fifth year anniversary. They open it up and read these notes to each other. And it, I think it was just an excuse to drink. But <laughs> the idea is this, is you're coming together and nothing's going to take it apart. Like the unity sand, the unity candle, it's the idea that like nothing's going to take us apart. Nothing's going to remove us from each other. Nothing's going to be that trivial in life. And so when you're looking for someone to marriage, you better understand what you're looking for. And Pastor Mark talked about this the other day. He said, you need to make a list. And let me just add to that, because here's what I know what happens. If you tell girls to make lists, they get lists. Like, I know some of you have like 50 things on there. And they're like, long lists. He must be this. He must be that. He must have a job making this much. I'm like, you're 19. How is he going to have a job making that much? And then guys, their list is, you must look like this and have a face like this and sing like this. I'm like, that's three women. Um, But here's what I want to say about lists. Your list shouldn't be incredibly long. And here's the deal. If you have seven things on your list and they have six of them and that seventh one doesn't matter, it doesn't need to be on your list. And here's why I say this. Some of you are making lists that are so long that you're missing the right person in front of you that has all the things that truly matter, may not have all the things that you wish you could find in Prince Charming or the perfect woman, but they are exactly who's in front of you. See, we, we make lists not to, not to exclude people, but to find the person that we should spend time with, the person that we should date, the person that we should give a second date to, the person that we should go forward with. See, because I want you to understand, what you're looking for is somebody to marry, so you should date in that way. Because I, I need you to understand, the idea of marriage, it's not this, this relationship that just drains you or is not good, or this relationship, which I've heard this so many times, oh, we just stay together for the kids. It's a relationship with somebody who fully knows you who understands you, who supports you, who loves you. It's a person that you can't wait to talk to when you have the great news, and it's the person you can't wait to lay your head on their shoulder when it's tough. This is the person that builds you up. This is the person that makes you better. This is the person that encourages you to accomplish what you didn't think you could accomplish. This is the person that challenges you to become more like Christ. It's the person that you raise a family with, you grow old with, you babysit grandkids with. You walk along the road, 85 years old, holding hands, and some teenager takes a pic of you, says hashtag relationship goals. <laughs> but that is. So tired of all the pics of like half-naked 19-year-olds, like relationship goals. I'm like, that's not hard to do. 
What's hard is the two old people holding hands, looking back on the legacy that they had. They say one good marriage, one good marriage lasts five generations. So I need you to understand this. What you're going after is not just a relationship, but a legacy. You're going, my kids and my grandkids and my grandkids' kids are going to have great relationships that follow after God. But it starts with setting your sights on what you want right now. Because you're building something right now, whether or not you're in a relationship or not. You're building it right now. Understand where you're going. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that um, you love us this much and you want the best for us. God, I know relationships are not easy. God, I know that many times we're, we, we struggle um, with, with what to do. And God, I pray that we would seek you. God, I pray that we'd look to you. God, I pray that we would include other people that love God in our decisions. And God, I pray most of all that we would find somebody that loves you just as much as we do. God, I pray for all the tough decisions in this room, the relationships that may have to end, the the conversations that may have to happen about changing course or doing something different. God, I pray that you give them the courage and the ability to have those conversations. God, I pray that they are able to see the big picture of what a marriage could be, not just the small picture of the amount of time they feel like they may have wasted. God, we thank you that you are one that blesses marriages. God, we thank you that we just get to be in one. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.